Um, my name is Katarina Bradford, and I have the blessing of calling this church my home for the past five months. Um, today I'll be reading from James 4, 1 through 10. Just making sure I got the right verse. <laughs> um, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with this world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So much. You may be seated. Give us just a second here. Wow, it's so exciting to see new folks at NBC. Uh, Justin up here this morning singing. He's fairly new. Cat as well. And we have some others that have been uh, involved. And, and I'd encourage you, if you're not involved somewhere in Mansfield Bible Church, to find a place because uh, that's where you really get to see the faithfulness of God, things that God does. Uh, it's when we step out in faith and we trust him to to work in us and through us and we start depending on him and all of our ways that we begin to see his blessings and his righteousness just as his faithfulness as we just saying he's provided everything that we need he's given us everything we need for life and for godliness there is no reason why we can't step out with boldness and confidence and see God do great things for his glory through his people right and so that's one of the joys to see folks stepping up and doing things in, in, at NBC. There's so many of you that have been doing that, and it's been just a joy to see that over these last few months especially. If you will, go ahead and put up the missionary. We just finished up our missions month. I wanted to give an update, just kind of let you know where everything was at. We're still short in a couple, in two or three of our missionaries. Our goal is 650 per missionary. Now, some of you may not have filled out a card. You may be sponsoring a missionary, but you didn't fill out a card. We didn't get the, was not able to get that total in there. So that helps us to let us know if we're, if we're meeting those goals. We don't have a line item on our budget line. When you look at our budget, you're not going to see a line for missionaries. We encourage people to write a check to the mission organization. We send that off to the mission organization and you begin to build a relationship with that mission organization and with that missionary. And so like one of the things we've heard from all of our missionaries is how when sometimes people who are at NBC and they start supporting one of the missionaries and maybe their job or things moves them on elsewhere, those folks continue to support them. So it's not just a line item in the, in the church, but it's actually a, a relationship between you and those missionaries. And that's been very important to us to continue. If you didn't, if you've been praying and you forgot, you didn't get around to it, there's some of these cards out on the table. As you go out just to the left, I had someone put some out there this morning. They're out there. You can pick one up. You can fill it out. 
drop it in one of the uh, black boxes this morning and we'll get that, get, get that recorded. So uh, please, please take part in supporting our missionaries and, and what they're doing around the world. All right, here we go, folks. Uh, we wrap up spiritual warfare this morning. And if you read that verse, I was watching to see if anybody was running out the back doors while we were reading that, that passage, right? Uh, uh, but we've been talking about spiritual warfare for a time. And so one more time, let's, let's go to the Lord and ask him to instruct us and teach us. God, we come before you th- this morning. Lord, let us come with hearts that are humble and contrite. Let us, Father, come with hearts that are, are ready to hear. That, Father, we would, not, we would not turn to hardness. That, Father, your spirit would move among us. You would teach us, O oh God. Your spirit would touch those areas in our lives that, Father, may need attention. Maybe we've been ignoring them for a while. That we might be more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we're your people here at NBC. And we're just learning how to follow after Jesus. So, Father, how can we learn to follow after Jesus without your spirit, without you teaching us and guiding us? So, God, we call on you to speak to us. Father, as always, I pray, God, just go past all of uh, my own shortcomings, my own sins, my own iniquities, uh, the the attacks that, that I face in a week, Father, just do not allow any of them to dwarf the message that you have for your people, that we all, including myself, Father, that we all learn and we all grow and we grow up into a mature body of believers in Christ Jesus. So, Father, we submit ourselves to you, asking you to guide us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been talking on spiritual warfare and some things that we've talked about, spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is not about your prosperity. Spiritual warfare is not about an easy life. Spiritual warfare isn't something where you keep a box of of armor in the corner and when things get tough, you quickly throw it on in order to be able to stand in that evil day. Spiritual warfare, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, spiritual warfare is our daily walks with God. If you're not walking with God, when that day, that evil day comes, when the day of doubt comes, when the day of discouragement, when the day of depression, when the day of of being deceived comes, you will not stand. In order to stand in that day, you need to be walking with him. You need to be putting on truth that is in Christ. You need to be putting on righteousness. You need to be putting on the bond of peace with your God, that you have peace with him. You need to exercise your faith and trust in what God has done for you in your great salvation that you have through Jesus Christ, in the word of God that he has given us, that he's given us everything we need for life and godliness, that we might walk after him, that we would we would, in a way, in a way that we walk in our life, we reflect him so when that evil day comes, we are able to stand. Well, one of the things that I was really trying to do is find a passage or find a place in scripture where there's kind of an example of this, where, where you see a battle going on and where does it come from and how do you address it? And so if obviously I go to James, right? James is one of those that he's really kind of blunt. He's kind of one of those kind of guys I kind of like. He doesn't, he doesn't pull back punches. But James' message to the, to the church abroad is a message of spiritual maturity, of growing in Christ, 
of, of putting away those things that once was ours without Christ and now putting on those things that are ours that are in Christ. It's about growing in him. And he's very practical and he's very straight. We hear the, the phrase, you know, where, with, you know, where Paul, uh, James says, faith without works is dead. And we all go, oh, so we got to work for our salvation. That's not what James was talking about. It is absolutely not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is that if I believe in the conduct of my life, it's going to represent or be worked out in the activities of my life. There's something I'm going to say today, and it's going to offend some of you, and it might be a challenge for some of you, and some of you are going to embrace it, and hopefully you see it in your own life if it's there. And some of you are going to recognize it and know that, that I'm constantly dealing with those truths. I know I am. And the truth is you cannot love God and love the world at the same time. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's not painful. It's not difficult. It is impossible. And James really brings that out. So when we start talking about walking after God, our journey of faith, of growing in Christ, he really addresses this in the spiritual warfare that's going on in our lives. In fact, in James chapter three, in the previous chapter, he talks about their, their jealousy that's among them, their selfish ambition. And he's talking about the wisdom that comes from above. And this does not reflect the wisdom that comes from above, is what he tells them. Those jealousies, those fightings, those difficulties. He says, in fact, he says in verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And I love verse 18. It's the one that really kind of caught me. And, the, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. But then when we walk into chapter four and verse one, James just kind of nails us with the truth when he says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? So James recognizing among these believers, there was an atmosphere of war. There was an atmosphere of struggle, of quarrels, of difficulty. And he understood that and he began to address those things. So when we're talking about spiritual warfare today, let's be honest, we're all, we all, all going to identify with certain aspects of this message. And some of us are going to realize, wow, I need to work on it. Some of us are going to harden our heart and ignore it. And we need, to, we need to guard against that and we'd be soft to the spirit that he might address this. And that part of it is learning how to walk after God and how to be a part of the spiritual warfare and putting on the armor of God in a, daily, in a daily walk with him. So the first thing he says is there's quarrels and fights. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? I'll tell you what causes them. It's the other guy, right? I mean, it's always them. It's not me. I, I've got it right. And if you're around me, I, I can think that way. God kind of uses a two by four and kind of hits me up the head to kind of get, get me straight sometime. But these two words are military terms that have a kind of a slightly different connotation in the process. The first word quarrel refers to kind of an entire military campaign. It's talking about war or the state of war. Is what causes this war, this battling that's going on, this atmosphere of battling? God forbid that the church is known for that. We as God's people need to hear what the spirit has to say to us today through his word. And we need to look at our hearts 
and we need to look at our lives. I, I, God has taken this passage in different ways over my life and really has drilled it into me in different aspects because we all can grow in this. So when we talk about a state or an affair or an atmosphere of quarreling, where does it come from? What does it cause? The second term is fights or conflicts. And it refers to kind of the individual disputes or battles that happen within, within the group. I have seen it where, you know, you get a little dispute happening here, a little one here. And next thing you know, things start splitting and division happens. And division is never a part of God's plan. It's not. Forgiveness is. Compassion and grace and peace is. And, and, and you know, I was in the first service, I was telling them, you know, I struggle preaching some of this kind of stuff because I struggle, I have struggled and God has changed me in so many ways. And I still have within my members this, this you know, if, it, for me, it's gonna be better to kick down a door than to figure out if I need permission or if it's okay or just, just kind of kick a door down and go, right? Never taking into account the consequences of that and the people that could be hurt and the things that could take place. And learning to, to show grace and learning to, to grow in that, we have to grow, dear people of God, in these things. And it refer, refer, refers to those individual battles that take place where all of a sudden somebody said something, somebody did something, and now there's starting to be a division within the body. It's minute, and we're kind of, you know, we've, we're all really good at it. I, I'm, I'm not one that's good at hiding my reactions on my face, but many, most people are, it seems like, you know, where we can just, you know, yeah, everything's cool. You know, I'm like, hey, you're an idiot, you know, I don't know, I'm, I'm gonna learn how to do that. And I find, hey, that's not the way to, to correct that, right? Because I gotta grow in it. I don't say that just to be funny either, because sometimes in our hearts, in the pursuit of our own ways, we always think it's the other person. And there have been many times in my life where I have. And God has had to kind of chip away and chip at my heart and chip at the, my life and grow me in these things. And man, I'm seeing it how our adversary uses division and bitterness and quarreling to attack the body of Christ. And dear people of God, God forbid, let it not be, let it not be. And James talking to these believers, he says, it is, is it not that your passions are at war from within you? That word within is the idea where they, it comes out from within your members. It's coming from within. It's not out there, it's here. It's taking place right here. The word passion there, it's the same one that we'll look at in verse three. We get our word hedonism from it. It's the idea of a passion for self-gratification, for pleasure or position at any cost. It's the philosophy that, that the chief end of individuals is their own pleasure and it wages war with every one of us. It feeds into our culture right now where the most important thing is what I think and what I pursue. It's what I'm after. And it creates within us this passion, this pursuit. And as long as I get what I want, who cares how many people are affected? And dear people of God, that cannot be named in the church. It's part of the spiritual battle that's going on. In fact, that word war there in verse two, or verse one, he says, are at war within you. It's a middle participle, present middle participle. You may not understand that in the Greek, but it's the idea that it emphasizes an emotional struggle within the believer. 
It's literally the idea of soldiering that's going on within your members. We get our word strategy from this Greek word. That there's a strategy within our members to go after the things that we desire. That we go after those selfish ambitions. That we go after those passions that we have. And James is saying, hey, at the very root of it, it's not your love for God that's causing these things. It's the very members, the very passions, the, the, the gratification that you see, your own way that you're determined to attain. Those are the things where it's coming from. And these quarrels and these battles that are taking place among your members is a result of that. And dear people of God, we need to be aware of it. We need to understand, don't run from what the Spirit may be saying to your heart and looking in your life. Don't grow a hard heart. Keep your heart simple, keep uh, soft and ready to hear. In verse two, he says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. The word you desire there, the idea of desire expresses a longing, eager desire, an anxious self-seeking if we were to go and look at the Old Testament and the Septuagint where the Greek translation of, this, of the Old Testament and we were to look at the 10th commandment, we would find this word used as do not covet. To, to desire what others have, others attain things where we desire and we pursue. I've seen it so many times where when we allow bitterness in our life and we allow division in our life in our pursuit to have certain things we're willing to bring someone else down to just talk about them or to destroy them then we might lift ourselves up and what we have done is we move from our eyes being on God who raises us up in our humility we would rather raise ourselves up and James is saying that in this conflict, in the middle of what there's going on, it's coming from within. And he traces it to the origin of these conflicts into their very desires and the impulses that they have within them. Greg dealt with it, Greg Buckles dealt with it a couple of weeks ago, talking about those desires that when they come up and when they conceive, when they come to a place and those impulses take place, sin is birth. It's when we come to that place where in the purpose of our attainment of our own self-gratification that we hold bitterness against someone, where we hold, hold something else from somebody else because of our own gratification. Sin has taken birth and it creates division and division is never of God. A lack of forgiveness is never, never of God. In fact, he goes on and James says, there he says, uh, you, you desire and do not have, so you murder. I love that term, right? You kill. How do you handle that, Greg? It's a, it's a figure of speech, I believe, and the idea of hate, you hate and you covet. I feel like that fits the context. Some would say maybe it's how we use our words that we, really, we kill with our words. I don't think in the context of the believers he were talking about, they were going around murdering people. But the picture is that, that of hate leads to that. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5 and 1 John chapter 3, it identifies hate and murder almost as the same. We begin to hold bitterness. We get angry at somebody and we hang on to that hatred. We hang on to that anger and it causes us to, to drift from our God. We hold it against the church. We hold it against other individuals. We begin to, to avoid them in the hallway. I remember when I was in uh, Louisiana, we had this lady in the church and apparently I didn't know this until later, uh, she had ran off a few other previous pastors. And, and so she had spoke very harshly to me, actually called me up on a Thursday morning and raked me over the coals for 
several minutes and, you know, and I was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And so here comes Sunday. Last thing I wanted to do was see her. Last thing I wanted to do was see, see, see Margaret. I love Margaret, by the way. I went and sat with her in the hospital as she was getting her chemo treatments. And God took her home through cancer, took her life. But I remember Margaret. That Sunday I came to saw her and as I walked in, I saw her sitting on the third row up on the left side. I went around and said, hey, Margaret, how you doing? I thought she was gonna stumble out of her chair because everybody else had always avoided her. And everything in my being, everything within my soul wanted to avoid her that morning. But God doesn't call us to avoid each other. He calls us to reconcile with one another. And my goal wasn't my own selfish ambition. My goal was truly, truly to heal the hurt that I had caused. And God was faithful and he was able to do that. He was able. Dear people of God, don't let the desire, in fact, James speaking to him here, is that you eagerly desire something and when you don't get it, that desire is so strong, you begin to hate and covet and that strategy, that, that soldiering within you begins to work and to do whatever you have to do to attain that. And the reason, the reason they didn't, James isn't telling them there in the last part, the reason you didn't get these desires was because you didn't ask. His point is, is that your desires and your passions were wrong. God is never gonna give us our desires to squander on our own passions. You gotta understand that. Our adversary will, but our father won't. In fact, James begins to address that in verse three when he says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend on your passions. The word ask there is in the middle voice. It's the idea to ask for yourself. How many times have we done that? You know, God, I, I want this. This is what I want. We're, we're all about God getting us what we want. I always say so many times what we think of is God like a genie in a box. We rub it. Okay, I got three wishes here. God, will you take care of this? Get this done. Because this is what I want today. God doesn't do that with us. If you go about praying and asking God in such a way that it's simply to fulfill your own desires, you need to stop. He's not gonna do it and I pray that he never does because you will never understand the purposes of the plans of God for your life if that becomes a principle in your life to simply run to him and get what you want and then get mad when he doesn't answer the way you do. You see, in spiritual warfare, dear people of God, our adversary wants us to think that way. Our adversary wants us to look at God as someone who answers when we pray and answers our desires and when he doesn't, we get mad at him and we drift away from him. Our adversary wants us to do that. And God is gently calling us, but God is not gonna change who he is for your passions. He's not. In fact, James goes on and he clarifies it a little more because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. The word there and the idea of spend is the word to squander. It can be translated that way, to squander. And again, it's the same word, hedonism for passions, to squander on your passions. Your goal in your prayers is not what God wants. Your goal in your prayers is what you want in order to accomplish your passions. And James is saying it's out of these motives that it's leading to quarrels and battles among you. Their motives is for their desires. And God does not give us our own desires and our own passions because God's goal for our life is to understand what he desires, what is truly good, that we would make our passions and our desires like his. And to begin to understand what is truly good, what is truly a blessing. And that we live in a world that is beginning to, 
It's really all about what we choose, right? We don't, we're looking at the world not in a sense of, of, of what is good and right, but really what do we choose? And we're starting to find that those things don't always lead to the, the course that we want. I know, I know so many times that we begin to pursue happiness and it's all about the laughter, it's all about the pleasure and we pursue it, we pursue it, we pursue it and to the place that we begin, we begin to be addicted and be bondage by that. But what God gives us is freedom in Christ Jesus and his desires, his truth, his things that he has given us to enjoy are good and those are the things that we need to take, take pleasure in. I know a few years ago, several years ago, I really was having some conflict with somebody. If, if you were to ask me just my side, I would, could tell you everything that person had done to wrong me. And maybe I was justified, I don't know. But I remember, I remember in the process to begin to realize in order for me to be able to grow in that circumstance is that it really had nothing to do about them. Are you in conflict with somebody? It's really not about them. And I started asking the question, what is it that God is wanting to teach me and grow in me? Yeah, God's gonna grow them. That's on God. He, he's the one that knows how to grow his children. I don't have to be the one to grow his children. God knows how to grow his children. I trust him. But here's the thing. What is God wanting to teach me? What was the bitterness in my own heart? What was the anger in my own heart? What was those things that God was wanting to touch in my own life. And man, I have learned to grow through these difficult times and see God in, in the way that he works. I wish I could just pull out a camera and show you how God has slowly but transfer, transformed my life through this process of changing me. It's not about them, it's about changing me. If you knew me 10 years ago, you would know how much God has changed me in 10 years. I, I, being merciful and being thoughtful and all those, those don't come naturally to me. And yet now I look at people and I just see them so differently. That's not because of me. That's because of the God's spirit working within me. It's beginning to pursue the things he wants, the people that God loves, the people he has spent his, his, his life for, and his resurrection, and to see them in that light changes everything about reconciliation, about forgiveness. And James is telling them that these quarrels, this atmosphere of quarrels and fights, where are they coming from? It's from your own passions. It's from your own members. It's from there that they pop up and they come. In fact, he goes on verse four, and he's kind of almost rude here. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. In other words, to, to be friends with the world is to be enemies with God. In fact, it's interesting that the translators put there the adulterous people, but it's really in the feminine. It's adulteresses. It doesn't mean that it's only women that fall in this, but the picture is this, that God, when he looked at Israel, he saw it as his bride, just as Jesus looks at the church as his bride. And when his church, when his people seek after another, isn't that unfaithfulness? Isn't that adultery? And so when James says, hey, friendship with the world is to create an enemy with God. Why? Because God has called us to himself. And dear people of God, hear me, hear my cry today, not as a pastor, not as a 
just as another servant trying to walk through this world after Christ. But hear my word today. That friendship with the world never takes us to the accomplishment of what God, takes us to what God has accomplished for us. It doesn't. There isn't true happiness there. I've over and over and over listened to people who've gone through brokenness in the world. It doesn't provide the answers, but I've watched people go through brokenness in Christ and you see them grow and come out in amazing ways how God works within them. You see, friendship with the world does not lead us to spiritual maturity. I've never really known the world as a whole to speak of the things of God. I know we've been called a Christian country. I know that we, all these things, right? But I've also learned in my short life that I've learned that when the world and all the majority of the world is run in one direction, it's probably not God's direction. And why is it that we so many times as God's people seem to hear that voice more than the voice of God? I don't know other than we have our own desires and our own pleasures. We need to be careful and guard our hearts because friendship with the world does not lead to righteousness. It creates us in a position of, towards God that we would not like. It is not, it is not possible to, to love God and to love the world. That's why so many times when you know, it's, it's not our actions that save us. I understand that. But our actions identify us. They do. i never forget this one time I was, when I was working in, uh, putting in lawn sprinklers to get through college. And I remember this guy that we just hired and I got into the van. We had this, they don't allow it now. You got to be in seatbelts. But we were sitting in the back of vans on top of tools and wires and stuff. And I was in the very back. And this guy got in and he started talking just immorally about his wife, about another girlfriend, all this stuff. And the guys were egging him because they knew I was sitting in the back. And I remember one of them, as we were starting to get out, one of them said, you should be careful, you know, Greg back there, he's a, he's a Christian. The guy goes, well, I'm a Christian too. And I went, I don't see it. And he goes, what do you mean by that? Are you judging me? No, I'm just hearing what you said. And it doesn't line up with what Jesus said. It's not a judgment. It's just a reality. If we say that I have faith in Jesus and we live the opposite, how can we say that? We gotta stop doing that, dear people of God. We need to be a people who in our hearts are fully devoted to him. Fully devoted. I'm calling you as a fellow servant that we no longer just dabble in Christianity, that we no longer just kind of float about and call ourselves Christians and think we need to be people that stand in the righteousness of Christ, in the truth of Christ, in the peace that we have with God, exercising our faith in this great salvation that we have, standing on the truth of his word and going forward as believers, as ministers of reconciliation in this world. Not only in the world that they might know of Christ and those that we have, but in the reconciliation of our own unity as God's people. That's a good place. Thank you. I don't know who all said it. I felt like that should have been the whole church. I don't, I, don't, I don't push for amens because to somehow make me feel better. I want you to know that. I push for amens because when we agree, it moves us in our hearts. When we say, I agree with that, that is truth. And I guarantee you, when you do that during the week, it'll come back, the spirit will remind you. I agree. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in Jesus. I guarantee you this week, 
The Spirit will remind you of that. And you need to remember it. You remember who you are. You're not of this world. You're God's people. So we walk into chapter five, I mean, uh, verse five, and verse five is probably one of the more difficult passages. It definitely is most difficult in, in James. So I'm not gonna spend a lot of time here because I could spend quite a bit of time deducting why I reach where I reach in the interpretation of this. But I think when he says in verse five, he says, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So I think five and six is important to see that. And I think when he talks about spirit there, he's talking about the human spirit within us. And the picture is that within us, that spirit that God has given us when he breathed life into us, that we have life. That spirit is yearning for envy. It's yearning for these things. Remember that strategy that's warring in our members? But God gives more grace. Do you hear that? But God gives more grace. God gives his people the grace that is necessary to overcome those passions. He gives us a grace where I look at my life and I go back 10 years and I go back 15 years and I go back 20 years and I'm just blown by the, away by the things God has done in my life and the way he's changed my life. Not because I preach or because I'm involved in ministry, but because God is working in my life to make me more like his son. Amen. Is that so exciting? I read his word and I go, my gosh, God, what have you done? This is incredible. You call us your own. He's given us an inheritance. Did you know that? He calls us co-heirs with his son, Jesus Christ. Is that amazing? We're all worried about our retirements. He's already taken care of it. He made us co-heirs with his son, Jesus. How amazing is that? God is changing me and he wants to change you and he wants to perfect you and he wants to make you more and more and more like his son. But we can't do that when our goal and our, and our desires is passionately after this world. And that's what James is telling us. It's part of the spiritual, spiritual battle. So when he says in verse, verse six, he says, he's telling us that the cure for conflict is a humble spirit. God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. He gives more grace because he gives it to the one who, who, who humbles himself before God. The humbling here is, is people who are willing to submit their wills to God rather than the pursuit of their own special, selfish ambition. Hear what I said? Why do you think I talk about, hey, we're God's people? Why do you think I talk about things that, hey, we're servants? Because dear people of God, we have to understand who we are. He is God and we're servants. Our passions and our desires is about him through what he has done through Jesus Christ, through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And we need to humble ourselves. We need to submit ourselves, our desires and our purposes into his hand. In verses seven through 10, James gives us 10 commands here. They're, they're kind of a Greek heiress imperative and they call for immediate response. And, and it demands action. These are, he, doesn't, he doesn't beat around with his words at all. The first is, is found in verse seven. Submit yourselves therefore to God. That, we're, that God opposes the proud, but he helps the humble. Therefore, we as believers should submit to him. Did you hear that? Humility is the key to spiritual growth and winning in the spiritual warfare. Humility, to humble yourself. When you humble yourself and you yield yourself to God, how do you hold 
anger towards somebody else. When you submit yourself to God and you humble yourself, how do you begin to love the world rather than to love him? It's a key in our heart. And James is telling them, submit yourselves therefore to God. Submit to him. Submission is not obedience, by the way. You don't go, hey, look, look I was at church every day for the last year, I only missed one Sunday, I was, I was submitting myself to God. Obedience is not submission. Submission is giving my will to God and as a result of understanding who he is and what he's doing through my life, I yield myself to him and it produces in my life obedience. That's why I can say how somebody acts, I can tell where they're at in their relationship with their God. Why? Because if they're faithful and they're seeking God and they love God and they're placing their faith in him, it will produce those things in their life. And he goes on and he says, and he says in that same verse, resist the devil and he will, he will flee from you. Rather than resisting God's will for us, we should resist the devil. We should resist his attempt at deceiving us. What did I've said several times through this series? That, 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 who, that who the devil deceives, he destroys. Who he hasn't destroyed, he is trying to deceive. It's one or the other. Either you've been destroyed because you've fallen into the deception where he's trying to deceive you that you might fall and be destroyed. It's the same picture. So we resist that. And how do we resist that? Standing in truth. We stand in righteousness. We stand in the bond of peace that we have with our God. And we stand in faith. We stand in the salvation we have. And when we do that, he will flee from us. Though he may be powerful, he will flee. And then he says in verse eight, draw near to God. The picture is that of a person coming to like offer a sacrifice. It's an Old Testament picture in the temple and coming near to God in the ceremony of their, of their relationship with God. They're coming near to him. And, and James is saying we need to come near to him. That the hearts, our pleasures of our hearts are for him. And if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. When we're not drawing near to God, you know what we're doing? We're drifting away. I've seen it every time I watch it. It's 100% of the time. You, you, somebody will come and challenge me that afterwards, but that's fine. 100% of the time, I've watched it where people begin, they begin to drift from God and they begin to grow further and further and further and they drift and one day they're wondering where God is. Some will even go, well, look, I tried the church, it didn't work. I already heard, read the Bible. I, it's not, they've drawn away from God. They've drifted from him. And that happens 100% of the time. And he's saying, draw near. Don't drift away. Don't allow the pleasures, that your selfish ambitions to draw you away. In fact, then he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. And the word there, cleanse, is an Old Testament picture illustrating the removal of sinful practice in our lives. That's why he uses a strong term of sinners in the sense of them showing their involvement in the worldly attractions and, and beginning to pursue the things of the world rather than the things of God. Then he says in the next phrase, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The word purify again is a picture from the Old Testament of making one's heart pure, making it right. Is your heart pure? Where's your heart at? He uses the term double-minded as a person who tries to somehow have God and a person that tries to have the world. He wants to love God and love the world at the same time. And it can't work, it's impossible. You're double-minded. You can't, you can't go back and forth. God's not going to accept that. Most of us wouldn't accept that. I was 
somewhere, I even forget where I was, and the person that was waiting on me was being distracted by all the others, and they were supposed to be waiting on me. And if being in the retail and restaurant business, I was standing there, I was starting to get a little aggravated, like, hey, stay focused, man. I'm, I'm, I'm the customer right now. And people are coming up and talking. They're just getting all distracted. And then I just had to remember, okay, be patient, Greg. You know, God grows me even in those moments, right? And so, so I was thinking, man, they're just all distracted. Well, that's what we do with God, isn't it? If we lose our focus on him, we begin to be distracted from all these other things. We need to purify our hearts and not be double-minded. We need to set our, our minds on those things. And then in verse nine, he uses some really tough words. He says, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. The word wretched there means, is a strong word meaning to be miserable, to grieve. The next word mourn is the idea to de it depicts a kind of a passionate grief that cannot be hidden and weep an outward grief. I was, we were at the movie, we had Sabina the, the Friday night and there was a scene uh, without giving away all the movie, but there was a scene where this, this German soldier who had killed Sabina's um, parents and family and he had brought him over, her husband had brought him over and he says, I'll show you the love of God or I, I forget the exact words, but he goes and gets his wife wakes her up, and when he wakes her up, he says, the man who killed your family is in our living room. And that's all he said to her. And she sat up, took a second, she walks out there and she walks to him and she throws her arms around him and tells him, I forgive you, and begins to kiss him on the cheek, tell him I love you. And, he's, and then it shows the tears coming down his face and he goes, what have I done? What have I done? That's, that's a picture I think of here that James is saying, we as God's children, when, we, when we're loving another other than our God, when we come to the realization there's a burden, there's a mourning, what have I done? He's my God, he's the one I see, he's the one I love. And the, the, the readers were pursuing their own lives marked by laughter. I watch it all the time in the world, many times. In fact, I, the reason I know this is because I did this. You know, you pursue one happy thing after another because if we're not happy, something's wrong, right? I mean, life's gotta be easy and we begin to pursue pleasure from one spot to the next spot to the next spot to the next spot. And it's all about laughter and, and happiness and joy and everything's kind of there. And that's why James says, let it be turned to mourning. Let it turn to gloom. Is it because God doesn't want us to be happy? No, he wants us to understand that friendship with the world, to pursue another other than him, that we should mourn in that moment. We should turn that laughter into mourning because we realize just like that soldier, what have I done? What have I done? And then James, he concludes all these promises within his call to repentance. He said, God will come near to you. God will lift you up. God will not leave a humble heart mourning. He will accept repentance and respond with love, raising the person up from their mourning into the warmth of his love. That's God's promise. Verse 10, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humble yourselves, it's a key. It's a key to this whole battle, spiritual warfare, walking after God, growing in our journey, in our faith. Here it's literally that humbling of ourselves that repentance of sin, of transferring our affections from God to the world and realizing, hey, that isn't where our affections need to be. They need to be on him. It's the specific sin of transferring those affections to him. Where are you guys at on that?
How are you doing in the spiritual warfare? We've been looking at it for a time now. We've been talking about it. There's so many areas that we can look at when we talk about spiritual warfare and the things that God is doing and, 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 and working in our lives. But it really basically comes back down to those basics of humility, of, of depending on him, adding to our life truth, righteousness, adding to our life the, the peace that we have in Christ, the faith that we have, the salvation, that great salvation he's given to us understanding the word of God and its impact and addressing those things that are in the depths of our heart that struggle and there's a strategy for in the way that it goes about to deceive us. Let us not be deceived. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I feel like there was so much there and Lord, I know that it's so easy because even, even me with you, Father, and dealing with this passage, there's been times and moments and things that where conviction has came and to guard my heart from turning hard rather than soft. Father, there's some here this morning that are feeling the same way. I pray, Father, that your spirit would enlighten them, that, Father, they would not have hard hearts, but, Father, they would have soft, they would respond to your spirit in a godly way. Father, I pray for some that may even be here this morning and who do not even know of the things that I spoke about in regards to spiritual warfare because they have not trusted Christ and his work, his death, his burial, and his resurrection for their own lives. And Father, that, that the call, the call to salvation, the call to respond to the work of Christ is so real. It's here and it's now. And there may be some, Father, today that need to receive Christ in their life to trust to trust in you, Father, to do the very thing you said you would do and to raise us up in that day. But Father, you have your way with your people. We are, we are your people. We belong to you, Father, we're servants. So we ask that you just do as you please. In Jesus' name, amen.